Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Expanding the zone. Shane Combs here uh, coming to you show 45, where we're going to be talking uh, dead period, which I'll explain a little bit more of that here in just a second. But first, want to thank you for uh, listening and or watching. Uh, if you, if you uh, listening to us on your podcast app out there, make sure you check out our YouTube channel. Uh, with August coming up here on the calendar, uh, you'll start to see high school interviews. I had, had a chance, uh, my brother Matt, uh, who's here with me, uh, we had a chance to uh, play play some golf today with the returning SVC Player of the Year, Charlie Lewis there of Uniota, and had an interview with him. And you'll get those things through our YouTube channel uh, throughout the, the fall and really throughout the year. So I encourage you to do that. So, you know, Matt, you look back at show 44, we were talking play and, and uh, practice, trying to find that balance and had some good feedback there from some of the, the local coaches and, and leaders uh, throughout the area. I enjoyed that. And I kind of teased this on last week's show. We always try to find something that is current in the sports world or the leadership world. In this case, it's a little bit of both. And it's it's a common phrase we use in coaching. Uh, the OHSA refers to it as the dead period. Um, for for uh, certain sports coming up here in August, and, and all sports have to honor these types of things throughout the year. I guess the first thing I would do is, uh, as I welcome you to the show, is is maybe put your AD coach's hat on there and uh, maybe just give an overview to the listeners that maybe are not familiar with this term on, on what we mean by that or what the OHSA means by the dead period. Yeah, you know, the dead period, as we call or the no contact period, whichever, you know, they refer to it as, um, is really something that's been in place for a long, long time. And every, pretty much every sport has one, um, you know, like the sport of basketball has two of them, basically, you know, 30 days after your season ends, you're not allowed to do anything with players in a, in a basketball sense. And then the month, basically the month of August, um, other sports have the same situation, you know, after the season ends or so many days, uh, there's different rules for different sports. Um, but basically it's, it's a no contact period, uh, for, you know, uh, basically where you can still do some weightlifting conditioning, things like that, but you can't do any sport related stuff. Uh, we're coming up on August. And like you said, that's the one for basketball. Uh, what's interesting is, is, those rules have been in place for a long time. And when we had COVID and, and I know we'll talk a little bit about this, but when we had COVID uh, most of these rules were just sort of taken off because uh, everything was so crazy. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, so it was a situation where the OHSA basically put everything on hold for hold for a, a while and said, go ahead and you can have as many contact days as you need. We're not going to have the 10 day rule in the summer where you can only do you know, stuff as a team for 10 days. We're not going to have the, the no contact period. And then when everything kind of got back to quote unquote normal, they put it, they put it to a vote of all the uh, member schools. And interestingly, and we can talk about this if you want, I don't want to get out ahead of your agenda, but interestingly, the member schools voted to put it back in place. I mean, the OHSA kind of threw it to the member schools and said, do you want to continue to let coaches pretty much do what they want to do, or do we want to go back to this, to the 10 day rule and the no contact periods? And the interesting to me, the administrators voted to do that. I, I don't know if, if you had an opinion on that or why you think that might be, but that, that was an interesting uh, thing that I noticed. Well, I certainly have that on the agenda. So I don't, I, as always, we don't do a lot of pre-show prep, so I don't mind you know, allowing the show to kind of go where it goes. I'll just, I'll just skip down the agenda and go to that. I, I'll be honest, Matt, I don't know if I am surprised. Uh, I think that, I think from an administrative standpoint, you always fear one sport having a little bit of a monopoly in your school. You know, I think, I think it's a way of maybe giving um, all sports a chance, so to speak. Let's say you, uh, let's say it's a sport that, uh, um, you know, obviously in every school, I think you'd agree as a long time AD that football is the financial bus, correct? I mean, it's, it's, it's right. the, the one that does that, but you know, maybe it's a volleyball school on the girls side or, or a really, really high level basketball school or, or, or whatever it may be. And I think sometimes if you start to really promote some specialization, which is already kind of getting a life of its own without any help. Um, so I think when you look at it from maybe an administrative side, um, and they try to step away from the athletic scene, it may be just looking to help 
uh, all programs have a chance or have their time of year where they're highlighted, obviously in season, but even maybe sharing some of the of the off season. Do you buy that or do you see that perspective? You know, I, I do see both sides of this. I'm going to be honest with you. I, you know, I was one who, who voted uh, at the school I was at at that time to, to not have those dead periods and, uh, and the 10 day rules, things like that. I guess my, my view on it was, I just don't like limiting kids, you know, if they want to be out there participating, doing things. I do see what you're talking about and the point that you make, and it's a valid one. I, I think that, you know, again, we, we talk leadership on this show all the time. I think strong leadership trumps that a little bit. I mean, if you have an athletic director, if you have a principal that says that is willing to tell coaches, hey, this is the way we're going to do it at this particular school, um, we're going to share kids. And, and we, I get it. You know, there are certain sports that kind of at every school probably take precedent. Um, but, but, I, but I think that, you know, if you have strong leadership, uh, you know, you can, I think you can manage that without having to put rules. It's like the old saying, you know, you know, those who, who use a lot of rules do it because they can't lead, you know, they can't make decisions. So you have to have rules. And I, you know, so I think sometimes we put rules in place to try to, to manage situations that, that really need to be managed by our school leaders. But I do see your point. I, I wouldn't go as far to say that, you know, I'm like, you know, pound my fist on the table on this one, but, but I, uh, you know, I, I see both sides, but I think that I, I guess my, my, my concern is when we limit kids and, and we also give maybe more advantages to, to certain schools that, that do, let's be real honest, maybe don't honor those periods and kind of sneak their workouts in maybe those schools that don't have football. So they start playing basketball a little bit earlier, you know, those types of things. Um, you know, maybe we, if without those rules, maybe do we even the playing field a little bit, if that makes, you know, if that makes sense. Well, I've heard you say so many times on expanding the zone, you know, a lot of times with, with certain rules, they're hard to police. So sometimes is the yes. answer to just kind of let it go or whatnot. I, you know, when I looked at my agenda here and I just kind of going off of each of your answer to kind of let you lead me down my, my notes, I, I guess my question would be, on integrity or, or different things, you know, you, you've been a coach, you've been an AD. Uh, I've been, I've been those as well. And we're both starting to dip into the administration a little bit. So we're seeing it from a lot of different perspectives. Is the OHSA right? Oh, sometimes in terms of, you know, we're, we're leaders of, of kids. We're leaders of young right. people. Is, is it so wrong to ask our profession to have a little integrity in terms of like, I'll give you an example. I was at the state clinic there several years ago or however many years ago to been when the pitch count was coming in. Right. One of the, right. you know, for people who don't know our, our baseball association here in Ohio is, is like second or third in the country to like Texas, you know what I mean? Like California, those types of stuff. I mean, it's huge. I mean, so you'll go to some of these things and some of the keynote speakers, there are maybe you know, a couple thousand coaches in this you know big ballroom and a coach raises his hand and he says, you know, how, how are we going to police this? Are we, you know, do we have to report it to someone who's in charge of pitch count? Who, who's, who's to say this kid can or can't pitch the next. And Jerry Snodgrass at the time looked at him. It, it was part, partly choking, but it was, was more so serious of like, well, are you going to cheat? You know what I mean? Like right. it's one of those things of like, we're putting this rule in place to, in this case, help young pitchers arms not get hurt and to try to have a better control over this. And they basically were asking every coach in the room of like, well, this is the rule. Are you, are you saying you're going to stretch through or you're going to cheat? You're going to do that. So a lot of times when it comes to this dead period, you know, are, are some people sneaking in the gym or sneaking in the batting cage or, or, or sneaking out to a range session or whenever that particular sports session is and, and doing those things. Some people in the competitive world might think, well, that's kind of just sneaky and you're getting some extra work in. It's cheating. Is it not? I mean, am, am I am I saying that too bluntly? Or I mean, is that is the OHSA wrong in, in, in expecting that of our profession? I'm gonna say two things about that. No, I, I don't think they're wrong to to expect integrity. 
I would, I would have, you know, I would have liked, and I, and I think the world of Jerry Stongrass, I think the OHSA, you know, didn't treat him exactly well, uh, you know, considering what he gave to them, but I would have liked to look at Jerry. I would have liked to look at Jerry and I said, Hey, are you going to speed on the way home? Are you going to go over the speed limit? (laughs) Because, because I bet you, if you knew there was no state higher patrols out, you'd go 10 mile an hour over the limit. Right. So my point to that is there has, there still has to be somebody to police rules. If you're going right. to have rules, there's got to be a way to police rules. Yes, you, you would like to depend on the integrity of schools. And, and mo, you know, most schools, I mean, I'll be honest with you. You know, when it comes to like the dead period and the no contact period, most of my experience over the years is most schools honor that pretty well. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing I don't think a lot of schools cheat on, you know, because and in some ways, it's just because other sports are going on anyway. If you're a basketball coach, you know, football's kind of hot and heavy. You don't have those kids in August. But there are a lot of rules that get you that you could say people are cheating on. And I guess I would say it's the rule versus the spirit of the rule a little bit. And it's let me just give you an example. The four-person individual workout. Right. You I know you do a ton of individual workout stuff with with your girls basketball. So so and different sports, you know, have this rule. But let's just take basketball for a minute. You're allowed to work out four people at once. The rule is that you are allowed to work out four kids at once. And only four kids in, in a facility at one time. So, in other words, you can't be working out four kids on one end of the floor. And your assistant and your other coach, your head coach, or another assistant be working out four kids on the other end of the floor. That's a violation. Now, if a school does that, are they cheating? Well, okay, wait a minute. They're, they're doing the same exact thing they could be doing an hour apart, right? So, so you know, but maybe the coach, maybe the coach has a family at home and can't dedicate four or five hours that day to work out 20 kids over a course of, you know, five hours. So he's trying to work out eight kids at a time on totally separate ends of the gym. By rule, it's a violation. Is he abusing it? I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, is he gaining an advantage there? I don't know. I mean, if he was running offense or he was running full court drills that he's going to be running during the season, then, yeah, I think he's abusing that and he's cheating. Now, I don't want um, to put words in your mouth. Is that what you mean by spirit of the rule? You know, they put the it, force it, it, they're it, not it, running it, offense. Is that what you mean by that? It is a little bit because I'm going to be real honest with you. I don't think I'm overestimating this when I say I would, I would estimate that 75% of high schools today are not abiding by the four-player workout rule to the letter of the law. In other words, I think there's plenty of six to eight people in a gymnasium at once at separate baskets doing drill work. And I've seen it with my own eyes in certain places. I've talked to coaches who do it and I, I know it's happening now. Do I think out of what, what percentage do I think are actually having full fledged practice and putting in offense and running full court drills? Very, very few. I don't think coaches are doing that. I don't think coaches are, are, are abusing that. But I do think that 75% probably are. And, it, and honestly, it's because of facility availability. It's because of time with your family. It's, it's the level of time you can commit to it. And coaches, and, and I know what people are going to say, well, cheating's cheating. But, but in these coaches' minds, what they're thinking is, the minute I don't do this, I'm falling behind. I'm, I'm falling further behind the private schools that are doing it. I'm falling further behind other schools that are finding ways to work their kids out. And it's real easy to look at a coach and say, you know, well, you know, if you can't put five hours in, then, then just don't do it at all. Except it's that coach's job on the line. If they're not winning, if they're not successful, you know, they're the ones suffering from that. So it's, 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 it's a tough ask. And I guess my, my point is, if when the OHSA puts rules in place, and why did they put that rule in place? I mean, let me ask you: what, what, why only four players in basketball? Well, they don't want you to, to run your your sets and stuff with five kids. Yeah, and, yeah. If you have five kids, you can have practice, right? It, theoretically, you could be dry running plays. You can do it. So four guys, four or four four players. 
So that was the spirit of the rule, right? So when coaches are working out, let's say six players at once, two at each basket all over a gym with three separate coaches working with them, what level of abuse is that? It's, it's, it's a violation, correct? But you get into this thing. And I think, again, it's, again, these rules are extremely hard for the OHSA to police. Um, and, and it, that some of these rules put coaches in difficult positions because again, there's that desire to keep up, you know, to, to, to give their kids, they don't want to give their school a disadvantage. Yeah, that's certainly interesting. You know, as I prepare and I've got two or three angles, I want to go off of that, but, but I want to ask you this first to set some things up here on the agenda. It, when I, when I was first thinking about this, I thought to myself, man, it brings in a little bit of summer old school style. When I say old school, I think back to like when we were growing up, we weren't allowed to do basically anything with our team, right? I mean, it was a time where you couldn't hardly play with more than one teammate and Gus Mack or whatever it may be. And if you went to a basketball camp, Shane, remember they, you know, if, if eight kids from your school went, the, the camp director had to make sure they only put two of you on each team. That's right. Now, now yeah. and, and correct me if I'm wrong, at a certain age that we were growing up, even your individual, you could only go to so many days at camp. Is that correct? 15? Yeah, yeah, you, like had, you had some of that, right? Because I think the basically where we're at now with like 10 off-season team days, right? I want to say started maybe right around when you were probably a senior, right? 95, 96, real, real 97, somewhere in yeah. the 90s where you actually got those 10 days where you could pretty much do anything you wanted, right? You could practice, you could play, which is still what we have now. So, so when I think of old school, like, you know, if I, if I think back to your playing days, I mean, most of the people listening here locally know this for people that don't, I'll, I'll say, it cause I know you won't, you, you were a phenomenal player in high school, uh, you know, uh, county league uh, scoring leader for two, three decades before just a couple of kids of past since, and you're, you're still right there in the top two or three of those particular lists. So obviously you were really, really elite talent. So I want you to think about this for me and, and maybe shed some light for, for the listeners to set up some points for me. As good as you ended up being at the end of it all, I'd say it's fair to say you were a solid, not incredible, solid seventh grader, eighth grader, ninth grader. And then right around your sophomore years, when you really flipped the switch, you grew a little bit, you got stronger and your game just really took to a whole nother level. When you look back on your game, when would you say you had the maturity to in individually develop your game? Because I know you had great support at home from parents, you know, send you to camp. They, they, they gave you great support in the game. You had great coaches, but even back then, because of these rules, so much of player development was on the individual, right? To go to camp, take it out on the driveway, right. get better. At what point in your career, if, if ever in high school, do you feel like you were capable of taking the ball out on the driveway or back then <laughs> sneaking in the gym, right? Because it was hard to even get in the right. gym. I, well, I won't even say it's the Unioed old high schools, some of the different ways we could get in. The, you know, to, to get better on your game. When, when, if you think back to growing up, how, how would you describe that here? Because I want to build off of some of this in terms of what I want to talk about here. You said, like you said, we had, I, I was, you know, fortunately for us, we had parents at least sent us to basketball camps and things like that. Right. But it's like, you really, as a play, it, it fell on the player to take what, like, say you learned at a basketball camp or to take what your coach maybe showed you in season, or as he met with you after the season and said, Hey, work on this stuff or whatever. You really had to take it and figure it out right and put the time and effort in because you didn't even have like youtube to say hey let me go and pick up a drill somewhere or you know so it was difficult but so there had to be that level of commitment and as i look back you know again i was fortunate like you said to be able to go to a camp here and there at least and learn some things you know but with the kids that didn't have that those resources if you think about it they 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 probably struggled to, to improve because their coach couldn't work with them. Right. Um, you know, so I mean, I, I, I may not be answering your question specifically. Well, no, because, you're, 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 you're leading right up to it. I was wondering at what age, if ever, did you feel like, yeah, I, I could go put a productive hour, hour and a half, yeah, to I mean, whatever honestly, it may be in the, in the gym or out on the driveway. 
Well, I mean, honestly, and I, I still to this day don't know how, I mean, it was productive in the sense of, you know, I can remember, you know, you'd read an article and, and it would say, hey, this player takes 500 shots a day. So you're like, well, I'm going to go out and take 500 shots a day. Then you get out there, it's like, man, it takes a long time to get 500 shots up. And then you try to figure out how could I get 100 shots in the morning, 100 in the afternoon, whatever. And so probably, when, like you said, when I got to be about a sophomore in high school, junior, I probably got really intentional, you know, about my workouts and saying, and maybe laying it out on paper and saying, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to maybe chart what I do. You know, I think probably when you're seventh, eighth, ninth grade, you're just out in the driveway shooting, you know, playing games with yourself saying, basically, can I make 15 shots before I miss eight or whatever? You know I mean? You're just making up stuff as you go. Um, so I think probably, you know, maybe sophomore year or so, that's what I would say. Well, and the reason I ask that is, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a situation like when I'm doing these individual workouts, I really enjoy them and we set them up. We probably, we probably put in a lot of hours because, you know, in terms of, oh, I don't know, I probably go 16 to 20 hours a week because I like to get individual one-on-one and it's, it's taking a little bit of that old school into the new school. And as you come into a dead period, I got to thinking through July at the beginning of July, a lot of the girls really, really needed the guidance, right? They needed to be there. They needed to, to find their keys. They know, hey, you kind of do this and you kind of do this. Hey, when your shot does this, this is probably what's happening. And you're trying not to overload them, but you're trying to give them a couple things to, to get better. And we talk a lot about getting uncomfortable to get better. Well, by the end of July, I started to notice that the workouts started to run themselves just a little bit more, right? Like I, my, my role started to decrease and they almost were coaching themselves before it even come out of my mouth. You know, they would say, Oh, I faded on that one. Oh, I did this. Oh, I didn't get good balance there. And it got me thinking, you know, not being a parent, it got me thinking about getting a kid ready to move forward in their career, in this case, for the sake of this show, the dead period. So like, here's an analogy I would use. You, you have a son now that's coming up on the age, which I'm sure you're thrilled about. That's going to be driving. Yeah. Right. You know, and, yeah. and he, he's getting to an age and, and he, he's a good kid. He's a mature kid. And he, like any kid, he'll have to, you know, learn responsibility and take things, but I'm sure that scares you to death. And I'm sure as a parent, and again, you could talk to this better than I can, obviously, but I assume it's, it's a very fearful time of, 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 of raising a kid. And you, and, and when it comes time to send him off to school or to practice or to out to the movie with his friends or with his girlfriend or whatever, you hope that all the work you've put in prepares him maturity wise and prepares him for that. Now, obviously I'm talking about something in life far, far bigger than getting better at basketball or baseball or whatever, Right. but see if you follow right. me here. I think, I think one of the things we do sometimes where we, we really, we really do not serve kids correctly is we don't teach them how to go work on their own. You see what I'm saying? We, we, we're a little bit control right. freaks in our profession. And, and I look at these workouts in July as if I'm really doing my job, any girl in the Paint Valley girls basketball program that is serious about taking the ball and going half hour, 45 minutes, an hour on their mm-hmm. own. I feel confident that the 15, 16, 17 different kids I've worked with throughout July could do that. Do you, you, you see what I'm saying? Do you think throughout the process that sometimes coaches become control freaks and we don't really teach you, you and I once did a, um, old school, new school type of show. And we went back and forth and it was very balanced. The one thing I do feel like in the old school, looking back at that show, and I don't recall the number of the show off the top of my head is I do feel like we had to independently get better in certain skill areas in the off season, more on our own in comparison to now. And I just wonder my question for you, is that good or bad? Yeah. You know, I, like I said, I, I think, you know, I don't want, you know, me, I, I hate being a, a fence sitter, but it's a little bit of both. And I'll tell you why, because it's, it's bad. It, it, the current system is, is better 
in terms of giving every kid an opportunity to get better if they really want to. Like, so for instance, any player that plays for your program at Paint Valley, any girl can get better under your coaching. It doesn't matter how much money they have. Doesn't matter how much involvement their parents have, other than maybe get them to the gym if they can't drive. Doesn't matter any of that. Like when we were kids, we talked about it. They had our parents sent us to a camp. They cared enough and had enough money to send us to a camp. Kids don't need that now. Get get with your coach, work out. He's going to show you what to do and how to get better and things you can do on your own. So in that sense, Shane, now is better. But like you said. We also are in an age where, where I think kids almost become dependent on their trainer or on their coach. And because, because like you said, you've seen your girls take off and almost coach themselves, but you're still standing right next to them. You see what I'm saying? Do they coach themselves in August when you can't even be around? Hmm. Maybe they do. Hopefully they do. But you, see, you understand what I'm saying there? So they're still, they're it, it's like, it's like, um, you know, we, I take my son to AP prep. Sometimes people around here know what AP prep is. He works really hard for those guys. You know, if I said, Hey, go out in the driveway and go through those drills, ah, he's not going to, you know what I mean? Uh, I don't know how hard he's going to go or if he even do it. Uh, I think sometimes kids need that little extrinsic motivation nowadays because they've had it their whole life. You see what I'm saying? So that, that sense of it, because since day one, they've had somebody looking over their shoulder, do it this way, do it this way, do it this way. Where when you and I were growing up, we sort of like, Hey, we need you to work on this. Now go do it. And you had to kind of figure it out more on your own. So it's both. You see what I'm saying? I think it's, I think it's one of those things and, and your analogy of, of, my, my son getting ready to drive is a good one because what do we do as parents? What did our dad do with us when, when we got our permit, he made us drive everywhere. Right. And we had a, we had a dad that was known for his nervousness. Right. So he, I guarantee he wasn't having a whole lot of fun when, when we were no. driving on our permit, but, but he made us do it. <clears throat> he suffered the nerves and made us do it because why he knew we were going to eventually have to do it on our own. So he wanted us to drive in rain. He wanted us to drive in snow. He wanted us to drive on a long trip. He wanted us to drive so that he could at least prepare us the best that he could eventually knowing we had to do it on our own. And I think that's what you're saying now. It's like the saying, you know, about, you know, give somebody a fish and they, you know, that saying. And oh, fish, give they, someone a fish to eat for a day, teach them the fish to eat for a lifetime. Right. Yeah. It's that I've always thought that's kind of like corny, but it's true. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like you're, 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 you're teaching somebody how to take care of themselves. You're teaching a girl how to improve as a player, even if you can't be with them doing it. Um, and it would be very interesting not how you would. I don't know. Maybe you do this already. How do you, do you even chart or do you even ask your girls that don't play a fall sport? How many days a week have you working out? What are you doing? Do you have players chart that stuff at all, Shane? Well, we've had, we've had different things. Like a lot of people, um, you know, last year, one of our big culture pieces was the three point shot. We had 13 or 14 girls on our program, make a thousand threes, you know, so lots of, and we use, uh, this fancy shooting machine, Dr. Dish, it right. used to be called the gun. And the kids now can even go all the way in and put their data in and it gives them the feedback. And right. so again, if they're shooting whenever, and we're not there, we can say, you know, Oh, Kendall die. Oh, dag on, man. She made 600 threes this week. Yeah. You know I mean, she right. has been in the gym right. by herself, uh, you know, that type right. of thing. So those things, you know, you, you said something and, and it's so much perfect right on that. You said something a second ago about, you know, uh, the promotion and the different things and the AP prep this and going and playing and this and different things. Think of the Twitter and the Facebook and the different media markets and different things, social media, where you'll see a lot of times the clips of these kids working out. Uh, I right. see a lot of football programs use this, right? Some impressive kids in the weight room and, and they'll have a lift and they're trying to promote their play. You know, I know, I know we do that a lot of times, you know, if, if it's an impressive um, you know, shooting situation, they'll put a little clip on there. Hey, so-and-so is in the gym today, working hard, proud right. of them, that type of thing. And, and, and I think that's great, but I think I'd also challenge kids sometimes, cause you said a second ago of, 
hey, are you are you going and working out? Are you really, really putting put. in the time or did you say you just kind of worked out? Right. It's one of those things where if, you, you know, your son goes out on the driveway for 25, 30 minutes. OK, did he go out there and just put 30 minutes in or did he go out here and really, really go to work on the workout? It's that quality versus quantity type of thing. And I think sometimes, you know, we talk a lot to the kids about how. You know, and I thought you made a great point on the podcast show last week about how you don't think there has to be score kept all the time. Remember saying that, you know, right. sometimes I just want to be competitive because I'd like to get better at this drill. And I think some of that, I think you have to teach kids how to do that. I think you have to teach kids of, I, I had a teacher one time tell me, you know, you know, Shane, you know, it's one thing if you don't act like an idiot in class when I'm right here watching you, but if I walk out of the room and you act like an idiot, is it that your true character? You see what I'm saying? Right. So it's one of those right. things. It's that true character is how you act when no one's watching type of thing. Sure. It, it, it's, I think there's some of that. Sometimes are you, are you just going hard for the 15 second clip on Twitter that day? Or are you really putting in the 45 minute workout? What, what dynamic do you think social media and some of those different things in terms of, uh, I guess the brand in this day of, in you know, name, image, and likeness, and all these different things that these kids are growing up uh, listening and watching and, and and trying to sort out. I mean, do you think there's any factor in that in terms of what we have to make sure we're teaching kids? Definitely. I, I think we live, you know, when you were saying what you were just saying, I couldn't help but get the, the funny picture in my head of the guy, you know, doing uh, push-ups and when the girl walks in he's like 99 100 yeah, man. <laughs> he'd only done like 10 um you know I, I think sometimes i think sometimes with 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 the stuff we can you know kids can put out it's easy to put out your best two or three moments here and there or, you know your best two or three plays in a game your best you know a, a, a cool looking drill that you do but again it, you know really what you know that's that in itself is not what's making you better right it's 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 do you do do you do you honor the grind you know the hours that you got to do and, and i think what it comes down to and this is what i saw about last week it's that extrinsic motivation and I, I, look it's not the kid's fault necessarily they just sort of have grown up in a, in a generation where there's some instant gratification in a lot of what they do right and that bleeds over. I mean, it happens with my own, with my own, you know, son, you know, Hey, if I hit a double tonight, dad, you'll give me five bucks. Well, no, you know, I mean, I give you a hug, pat on the back. Nice job, buddy. You know what I mean? Uh, there has to be some, there has to be some, you know, intrinsic, just, I want to do well for no other reason mm. than I want to do well. And unfortunately it's really difficult for this generation of kids because they just, they have so much of that outside influence, you know? Um, so it may not be a battle we can win completely, but I think it's still something that we can try to help with. Well, I think we have to teach them. I think we have to teach them how to improve, how to appreciate improvements, how to set goals, how to evaluate where you're at and, and, and understand that you're, you're never going to stop improving. You know what I mean? Like, like I'll, you know, oftentimes I'll have workouts with someone who's literally right out of junior high and we may spend, we may spend 45 minutes on something that if I'm working with a senior, maybe more of a six, seven minute warm up. You see what I'm saying? Like, right. you know, we always try to connect things in the real sports world. I don't know if you noticed this story, um, Kyler Murray, the, the talented quarterback there where, you know, they, they were going to sign him. I mean, you know what I mean? He's, he's a franchise quarterback. Right. He, they, he, he's arguably the best high school quarterback ever in the state of Texas. That's saying something, you know, yeah. he's the Heisman. He was, he's rookie of the year. He obviously is, is very, very talented, but the knock on him is a little bit's been in his, his preparation and they put a clause in the contract and these contracts are right out public now. So they were saying that it's, it was kind of the organization taking a little bit of a shot at him. Did you see the story where it said he had to do four hours of film study? So it, it was, it was calling him right. I, out I didn't see that preparation yeah. and they, and they kind of had some words back and forth nonetheless. And, you know, I don't know if it's, if, if it's much of anything, but, but nonetheless, that it just kind of reminded me like, you know, you're constantly going to look for areas of improvement. And, you know, I think, I think what happens sometimes I see some kids that are in that stage that, um, 
man, they just, they, they, they get better within the workout. They get better within the week. You know what I mean? Like the light bulbs going off in there and that they're at a stage of their career where they're just, you know, and, and I think sometimes what happens is I notice with older players, they go, their gains aren't always going to be as, as big. You know what I mean? The better you get, sometimes right. it slows your growth. I think that's true in academics. You know sure. what I mean? If, if your pretest is, you know, 30, and on the test, all of a sudden you get 80. Well, man, that's a lot better, right? Well, if you already pre-tested like at 88, well, all of a sudden going to 91 doesn't feel like, right, right, you know, yeah. right, but it is. Um, I think you go through that in golf sometimes. I think, I think you've been a single digit handicap for a long, long time. So if you think about it, whenever you go out and shoot in the eighties, you feel like you're shooting a hundred. You see what I'm saying? Whereas it's hard to knock one or two strokes off where if someone's just starting to play golf and they're out there and they're athletic and they're shooting 60 or what, it doesn't take them long to figure out how to shoot 48 or 49 or 50. Right. 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 And, and I think, I think that stuff is, is, is important sometimes is you got to make sure that you, uh, you, you help kids understand their goals and, and some of those different things. Um, I, so I guess the question I had here in my notes for you would be, what is it that you think is important if you're giving kids something for an off season, or in this case, maybe a dead period to stay more on topic, you know, is it, is it very detailed? Is it, is it realistic? Is it short? Is it know your, know your player and know what, you know, they're going to do in terms of effort? What, what, what's the trick there? Is it, is it kind of an individualized plan for each player? I think it needs to be. Yeah, I, I do because every player is a different development. Like to go on your example, you know, if, if, if somebody is, you know, if you've got a track, a sprinter running, a you know, an 11.8, he's not dropping it to a 10, five, right? I mean, it's, it's, mm. you know, you, you, but, but so you're, you're trying to make small gains in specific areas. It's like, I mean, think about this, like pro athletes, pro basketball players have these guys will work them out and work on a specific skill. I mean, these are the best players in the world, and I'm pretty sure if they played their coach one-on-one, -on -one, okay, they would win, but yet they're listening to their coach try to teach them a specific skill, whether it be, you know, uh, you know, at the NBA level, we're going to work on, we're, we're going to work on nothing except uh, a jab step crossover step back three or something, you know, I mean, I'm just making something up, but like, we're going to work on one. Like I, I've, I've literally read articles and listened to podcasts where guys like Drew Allen who work out NBA players, you're working on one move. We're going to take one move. And by the end of the off season, we're going to master that move. And they just put in hundreds and hundreds of reps at that one little move. Right? So I think if you have a great player and he's going into a senior year, you're not going to say, okay, I want you to take 10 dribbles with your right hand, 10 dribbles with your left hand. That doesn't make any sense. You're going to give that player a specific thing we want to get better at. And, and then hopefully during this dead period, send him off or her off to, to, to get better at that. Right. But if you have a player who's trying to start on the JV team, it might be 10 dribbles with the right hand, 10 dribbles, you know what I mean? So you have to have the individual plan, I think, Shane, to meet to, to meet the needs of that person, wherever their development is. And I think that's what your four-person workouts can do. I mean, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm assuming you don't do the same workout with every kid on your team. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you might have a, you might have a basic you know, core or nucleus, but I'm, I'm guessing you're teaching some girls a little bit of a different skill than another. Well, that's right. A lot of times it, there, there's a foundation of skill set that we right. think is important to our offensive philosophy, but you're right. You know, a lot of times, what, like I said earlier, if you're working with a younger kid, it may take 45 minutes to do what you're going to do six, seven, eight minutes with another, you know what I mean? In terms right. of, like, of how far you're going to advance. And so I think that's, I think that's fair. And, and as I was listening to you talk, I think it's so important to educate kids on you use the track analogy, you know, I'll, I'll see some junior high kids all the time. They'll, they'll get in the track and they'll be like, Oh man, I'm only like two seconds off the, 
the school record. I'm in the eighth grade and they don't understand that like in a sprinting event, you're not knocking two seconds off. You know what I mean? Like, oh, right, right. You know, or, or you'd be Usain Bolt, you know, yeah. because a lot of times, you know, in, in, in a distance, could you knock some time off? Yeah, you could, you could knock a chunk of time off if you were, right. again, making those early gains. Some of the times are big. Uh, here's a, here's a great analogy for me. I, I always joke with the, the football coach, you know, on, on my weight, you what know, we all love to get back to our playing weight, right? Uh, you know, many, many right. years and many pounds ago. And I always say, you know, maybe, maybe when I first got out of school as a wide receiver weight, I can handle coach moving me to tight end. As soon as coach wants me to start playing offensive tackle, it's probably time to die, right? <laughs> it's one of those things. And it's, so I had this goal that I just turned 45 on June 23rd. I have a goal that I'm going to lose 45 pounds in my 45th year. And I've lost 23 pounds since June 23rd here as we're recording on what, what is today, the 28th or 9th or something like that. Right. So I'm not doing bad, but here's, here's what's funny about that. I obviously let my weight get way out of control there and I shouldn't have. I, I do that every, every so many years or whatever. And I have to you scale it back a little bit, but like when I went on this hardcore diet, man, the first two or three weeks was easy to lose weight, right? Sure, Stop yeah. eating 5,000 calories a day and start eating like 2,000, like a normal human. And the weight, I start losing like a pound a day, right? right? But now what happens is it starts to slow. So like if my goal is 45, that first 22, 23 is pretty easy. Guess what that next 22, 23 is going to be? Not as easy, right? right? So it, it's, right. I think we have to educate kids on the task at hand on the sport, get them to understand what's important. Why is it important? And, and I think it's natural for older kids to kind of understand that because they've been into the, to the varsity game. They they've understood. Oh, okay. Yeah. I know what you mean there. They start to understand what it means to, to watch film. They start to understand that. Oh, I, I see why that's important on scouting right. report and so forth. So, you know, Matt, I, I, I tell you that that's, that's some good stuff. I, I look down at my agenda here and, and I'm, I'm all marked off, which usually tells me to go to, uh, closing remarks but i don't want to cut you off there is there anything i've missed you know before i get to that point no i, I don't think so i mean I, I i could probably lead in with some closing remarks and then let you finish it up but i i think you know we, we've talked about a couple different things on this show obviously you know we, we we've talked about um you know some rules that are in place uh, that i think that that are in place to um, control, I think, uh, how coaches operate, how teams operate, uh, the, the, rules that I think in some ways limit kids, but at the same time, I think we've, we've talked tonight, how if done correctly, it doesn't necessarily have to completely limit kids. Right. I, I think we can, we've, we've showed that we can do some things and hopefully teach them to take it on their own a little bit. Um, you know, we, we didn't necessarily talk about this, but I think some of these rules are intended to give coaches a break, to, to, to let people decompress a little bit. So I understand the need for some of them. I, I still am not a fan of rules that, that, that you can't enforce. I've always had a little bit of an issue with that. I do understand that the OHSA depends on high schools, like you, you, you open the show with, to have enough integrity to enforce these things. And I do think there's something to be said for that. I do think it is a role of principals and athletic directors to try to keep an eye on their coaches and say, Hey, if you, if you walk in a gym and you see coaches working out eight or nine kids, Hey, listen, you know, make sure this isn't the rule. You know what I mean? If you, if you're going to work out, you know, four kids in this gym, the other four kids have to go to another facility or whatever. They can't be, you know, you can't be in the same facility. I think it's our job to, to, to educate basketball coaches that, hey, just because you're sitting in the top row in the summer and you're, you know, a volunteer's coaching your team, that's still a coaching day, you know, um, because that's, that's one that gets, you know, uh, cheated a little bit. Um, from time to time where either coaches play dumb or they really don't know the rule one or the other um, both of which you know at the end of the day are unacceptable right if you're a coach you have to know but we've talked about those rules and and I think we've we've hit on those but we also I, I like the conversation it led to Shane with 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 how we are trying to help kids I guess for lack of a better word you know uh, 
be independent, right? Not always have to be dependent on their coach or their trainer or whatever, but to be able to go out on their own a little bit. And I think, I think there's a lot to be said for that. So, um, I, I, you know, it was a good conversation. I think it's one that we could probably branch off into some other topics, which I'm sure we will down the road, but, but yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know what your closing thoughts are, but those are kind of mine. Yeah. I, I think you touched on some of them there. I, I think when I, when I entered tonight's show, I wanted to, to talk to people about the dead period, the no contact period and, and kind of understanding what it is. Right. And because then, it's coming up. Right. You know, that's right. Right. That's right. Right here in, in the month of August. And, and I wanted, but, but I really, I really got to thinking in terms of the July workouts and some of those different things about how important it is as a leader. I'm just not talking about a coach. That's kind of the analogies we kept going to tonight, but as a leader in general, you've got to really educate people. You've got to promote what it is you want and sell it Let's, you know, in terms of motivation. But then you got to listen to the feedback and you got to, you got to hear if they're buying what you're selling. If not, why not? Because at the end of the day, I agree with what you're saying in terms of everybody needs someone to push them a little bit, right? Everybody could use a trainer. Everybody could use a coach. Everybody could use, you know, but, but that's just not the way it's going to be. It's not the way real life sets up. As you said, at some point, the parent has to let the kid go out and drive to town by his or herself. At some point, the, the principal has to have the teacher walk out of that TBT meeting and go to the classroom and practice what it is they've been talking about. Um, a coach has to get a kid now in August to be able to go and go into the weight room or go into the, the, onto the court or into the batting cage or out to, um, you know, one of the things here on our YouTube channel was Charlie Lewis of Uniota here for our local listeners. Remember what he said to us when, he, when we asked him, Hey, you going to play any more holes today? Do you remember what he said he was going to go do? Right. So now He's going to go I'm, hit balls. I'm going to get hit ball. You know what I mean? Like, right, right. You know, I want to play nine more holes. We didn't want to get hit ball. You know, it's one of those right. things in terms of that that's, that's, he understood that that's how he could get better today. You know, so I, I think there's some, I, I, th- I just think there's some, some real, real lessons to be learned here from this show and any walk of leadership about how you have to be able to educate, you have to be able to promote, you have to be able to listen, and you got to understand that, um, that at the end of the day, your success as a leader kind of comes down to can the people you're leading step out on their own and go be an extension of, of the vision. So uh, good stuff. Uh, again, appreciate everybody on the feedback. Uh, last week's show 44 there, the play and the practice discussion. And then tonight here, show 45, expanding the zone on the dead period. As always, thank Dr. Chris Goody. He promotes the, the uh, really helps us promote there on the uh, YouTube channels. I said earlier, uh, the, the interview with Charlie is up and, and you'll see those from some of our local athletes throughout the, the fall. Always try to get some volleyball coverage and, and some football coverage and, and, and some different things there. So, so Matt, on that note, we'll, we'll get on out of here. Look forward to coming back to you here real, real soon on Expanding the Zone. Thanks, everybody.